One of the challenges of traveling is managing your money. If you're tired of getting crushed by bank fees and exchange rates, you need to check out wise.com. I have been a customer for over 10 years. This is the easiest way to connect all of your finances internationally. It's been essential for me first as a traveler, then later as a digital nomad and an expat living abroad, running a business from around the world. You get one account, which allows you to send, spend, and convert money internationally, all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. You can join 16 million customers, learn how the Wise account can work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com slash travel. That's wise.com slash travel. Thank you to Wise for supporting today's show. This episode of Zero to Travel is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at nissanusa.com. The more that you can contemplate your death, the more you're going to live a full life. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey there, it's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show, my friend, and thank you so much for hanging out sharing a little time with me and letting me bring some travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. And you are not alone because you're joining many thousands of listeners from around the world as part of this Zero to Travel Caravan. Thank you so much for tuning in. I got a wonderful show for you today. I had this conversation last week with Bronnie Ware and got so much out of it. I know you're going to get a ton out of it as well as you heard the quote at the top of the show. Yes, death. What a surprising tool that you can use to live a full life with travel. We talk about that. We talk about trying to fit into a box where you don't belong and how can you shift your life if you're in that situation. The terror and awakening, strength and gentleness, the creative process, the sacred gift of time, seeing things on a soul level. And when you hear this, this might just change the way you think about quote unquote problems or other challenges in life. And there's just so much packed in this interview. I know you're going to love it. And we're going to get into that in one second. Before we do, a couple things. First, I want to give a quick thank you to Tortuga Backpacks for supporting today's show. If you go to zerototravel.com slash Tortuga, what are you going to find the best backpacks out there for long-term travel? Whether you're traveling for a few weeks or a month or a year, you can find a perfect backpack for you. They also have other travel gear. And again, through that link, I put my own recommendations on there so you can see what I like. And if you want 10% off, if you order anything, just type in the promo code TRAVEL when you check out. That's super easy to remember. Just the word TRAVEL. You love it. I love it. You won't forget that one. So thanks to Tortuga for supporting today's show. They've been a longtime sponsor of the show. I've been using their gear forever. And if you do decide to get anything over there, you'll also be supporting the show because I'm an affiliate for their products. So uh, thank you once again to them. And before you pop your headphones off and get going onto your next thing, whatever that is, uh, stick around for the outro because I got to shout out somebody here in this community. Without further delay, I want to get into this interview with Bronnie. She's a gentle rebel. I loved this chat. I know you're going to dig it too. I'll see you on the other side. My 
my only concern is that I'm under a flight path and there may be a, a flight noise at some uh-huh. stage, but hopefully we'll be fine. Well, yeah. that is a... Uh that would be a good thing because this is a travel podcast. So we want to hear planes in the background (laughs) (laughs) and I have started recording, so we might as well go into it because, uh, (laughs) I, I'm so privileged and honored to have my guest today who you've just heard. And and hopefully you hear some planes in the background while we're chatting because that's something I think all travelers love to hear. Uh, And uh, one of the things we're going to talk about, well, many things, I mean, living a life with no regrets is a worthy goal for anyone. But what about those who at the end of their lives feel that maybe they fell short of that intention? And what lessons can we learn from them so we can avoid looking back and wondering, hmm, what could have been? And my guest today is the author of a wonderful best-selling book that I highly recommend to anyone. It's called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying, A Life Transformed by the Dearly Departing. Uh, she's also many other wonderful things that's hard to sum up in one of these snappy little podcast intros. So I'm just going to read how you describe yourself on your website, Bronny. I'm with Bronny Ware right now, and, and you can check out our work at bronnyware.com. That's B-R-O-N-N-I-E-W-A-R-E.com. And uh, you have this great little sort of bullet points that just say, speaker, free spirit, author, mother, storyteller, nature lover, teacher, songwriter, traveler, gentle rebel. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Welcome to the Zero Travel Podcast, Bronny. Uh, it's my pleasure. It's absolutely my pleasure, Jason. Thank you. <laughs> what do you mean, gentle rebel? Where did you get that one? I love that. Uh, it, it's actually um, someone else called me that once, and I, I realized that they had read me very well. Um, <laughs> I, before I was an author, I was a singer-songwriter, and after one of my gigs, this guy came up to me and said to me, you have just shown me how much strength there is in gentleness. And it always stayed with me, you know, I I said thanks so much and everything, but it really stuck with me. And then when uh, I sold the – I optioned the the film rights for Five Regrets, so there's a movie being made from from my first book, The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. And so in order for them to build the character, obviously there's a book there they're basing it on, but – but they have to adapt it to film because there's there's too much goes on in um, too many patients die in the book for um, for it to suit suit a movie and so they basically had to analyze analyze the book and analyze my character and the original writer there's been a couple because it's they, they look after different stages of it and the original writer um, I think. I was told she read the book five times or something, even though I've, I've shared my privacy completely in this book. To, for someone to read it five times, I felt incredibly analyzed. Right, and, right. And I, I, was, I was uncomfortable with it when they said, oh, she's just going to read it one more time. I'm like, oh, my goodness, this <laughs> character analysis is killing me. But in the end, that's what she came up with. She said she's a gentle rebel. And I just thought, ah, oh, she's nailed it because – I am gentle, but I still live life completely on my own terms. So, um, yeah, it's came about that way. That's beautiful. I love the story. And I, uh, I mean, I can imagine there's some people out there listening right now thinking hmm, gentle rebel, like I'm going to, I'm going to snag that. That's a good one. <laughs> I love that. No, that's so funny because I think one of those silly questions people can ask themselves is, uh, Oh, if, if like a movie was made about my life, who would play me? And for you, that's actually come true. <laughs> 
Mm. Yes, it is coming through. And, uh, we just had the first full workable draft um, sent to me only a couple of weeks ago, and I sent it. I've just sent it back to the producers to say, "This is beautiful and brilliant. Go with it. I'm, I'm happy." Yeah, but it is. It's a strange feeling. I, I you know, don't like to overuse the term surreal, but. I think it is because it just doesn't feel real. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, I mean, imagine when you're sitting down writing this book. I mean, if you can think back and just take us there, you're pouring your heart and soul into this. Clearly, I've read the book. It's um, it's such a beautiful book, and it's so personal because it's your story, of course, and other people's stories. And I mean, again, just pick it up and read it if you're listening to this, and you're going to get a ton out of it. And and you could read it five or ten times and get something different every time, but. You're not thinking when you're you're sitting there writing, I'm sure, like, oh, this is going to turn into a film one day, you know? (laughs) When when you were writing this book in particular, what is the creative process for you when when it comes to writing? And I I could say versus music. Maybe that's too big of a question, but... Mm, well, music, the songs just come through. They just, I don't really plan that sort of thing. Um, before I wrote this book, I was only a blogger. And so I'd never written anything longer than a blog. <laughs> and so my blog took off and I was approached by an agent in America to write the book. And so with her, I got an outline of, uh, did a proposal and she sent it off and it was rejected by 25 publishers. And so, um, I mean, it's now in 30, 30 languages with over a million copies sold. So, um, But it was rejected by 25 publishers. So I was able to be released from that contract, And but the seed was sown. It's like, okay, this book wants to come through. So I just basically committed to five mornings a week from about 7.30, 8 o'clock in the morning to be out on my veranda and I'd write until my brain just got tired, which was usually about midday, one o'clock. And I was living on a farm uh, in a little shack on a um, 2,000-acre farm right by a creek. And, yeah, so I just committed. I thought, okay, you know, I'm going to write this book. But because I'd only ever written articles before or or quotes, I love writing inspirational quotes as well, I sat down and I started to write. And I got about a page into it and I thought, holy dooly, this is going to be a long process. Like, this is actually going to take me a while. It just kind of hits you all of a sudden. Yes, yeah. Now I know I've written three books, but but it was sort of like, oh, you're not actually going to be finished this in a short time, Bronnie. So, you know, it was a six-month process of writing it and then, edit. you know, writing, refreshing it and editing it myself and, yeah, and all of that. And so it's been um, – it was a beautiful process and especially because – I didn't have any idea where it was going and so I wasn't um, held back by the fear of how it would be received. It was just like, okay, life's calling me to write this book. I've got a very small following now. I'll, you know, I'll write it for them and and so that's what I did and it, it was actually released unedited. Um, like no professional editor has ever edited that book because – I just released it the way I knew nothing about book writing and a friend who's a high school teacher, he read it for me and just edited it or pointed out a few corrections and when I, so then I released it independently and it took off and so Hay House, my main publisher, they then offered me a, a 
um, publishing deal in the same 24 hours as my daughter was born. And so they didn't want to miss the wave that I'd created. And so they just released it as it was. And it's only now this year in 2019, we're releasing an edited version in August, um, which isn't edited like a normal editor would do. It's just a tightening of, of my writing style because it's improved three books on. Yeah, mm. There's a, a level of uh, extreme openness that happens with you when you're doing this creative work. You mentioned songs coming through you and not really having a plan for the book and it just kind of coming together as it would. Is that fair to say? Yes. Yeah. Because I had the proposal done with the agent, I had a basic outline that, but that, no, that was it. I, I had no idea. I certainly didn't um, see where it was going to lead. No, I just... I just write it like I'm having a chat with you, Jason. You know, I just <laughs> I just sit down and start writing and see, let it go. See yeah. where it goes. Yeah, uh, it sounds like nature's a, a very important part of your life and and drawing inspiration from that. And you mentioned being on a two thousand acre farm when you were writing this book, and I know you also grew up on a farm on the outskirts of uh, Australia's country music capital, right? That's right. Yes. Yeah. I'm always curious where the propensity to travel comes from. And, and I, I think for some people it comes later in life and for others, it's during their childhood. It sounds to me like you had a pretty interesting childhood being around music and, and it sounds like there were artists traveling through and, and they would come and stay at your at your family's farm. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yes, um, can yes. you talk a little bit about that experience? and uh, Sure. Yeah, and how that might tie in with travel or may, maybe it doesn't. I think it did plant seeds. So my father was the first lead guitarist in Australia. This is back in the fifties, and he, um, and in those days there were no, there was no one to compare it to. He sort of just got a reputation as a brilliant lead guitarist, and he was backing all sorts of musicians. And it got to the point where he was backing the most famous country musicians in the country, and. Um, him and mum actually met that way. She was a singer and he had to back her on a live uh, radio show. And uh, anyway, so we were on a farm just outside of Tamworth. And in those days, what the country music artists would do, they would just tour for about nine months a year. It would take them about nine months to go right around Australia. And then they'd spend about three months just settling down and re- and writing new songs for the next tour and the next album. And they needed a base for that. And so it was not unusual for us to have two or three caravans on our farm and have these artists writing songs and coming in of in the morning and saying to dad, you know, Pat, I just, you know, I've just written a new song, listen to this. And he'd grab the guitar and off he'd go. And, and so it was a funny sort of setup because us children weren't really included in it. My dad was a little bit closed and exclusive with his music around us kids. And I mean, we loved the visitors and we were included in that. But when they got into their, their music sessions, we just had to just go off and play. And, you know, there are quite a few, there are a few of us. So we did. And, and we're on a farm, so there was always plenty to do. But then they would they disappear. Then they'd go off traveling again and maybe a new one would come or for some of the year there'd be none. But they always came back with these stories about travel. And I do remember you know, thinking about it. And also my dad had a radio, he was an accountant as well, but he had a radio program and it wasn't, you know, this is early 1970s. And 
and it was a really big deal that on a clear night, we were on the east coast, on the east side of Australia, and on a super clear night, you could pick up his radio, the truck drivers could pick up his radio station on the west coast of Australia through their CB radio network and they they would radio in. And so I think that probably had a bigger effect on me thinking, wow, there's people right over the other side of the country, you know, and and made my world grow a lot because we were in a, in a country town and, you know, our, our world wasn't that huge. But um, but just knowing of other people away in different places and and I think also my love of the sky. I, you know, I, I was on my horse under the sky, this massive, big, uninterrupted, wide open sky and... I think that love of the sky also sort of pulled me because I remember thinking as a, I don't know, maybe as a young teenager thinking, I wonder what the sky w- would look like in a different country, you know, things like that. Yeah, so I, I guess guess those seeds were planted from an early early stage, even, even if I wasn't super conscious of them at the time. I just knew that as soon as I finished school, I was out of there, yeah. I feel like uh, music has so much travel in it because that's part of the job at some point and maybe maybe not the first album but if you become a touring musician i mean even if you're just playing in pubs in your hometown or whatever you're getting these experiences you're traveling around you're going to different places how does that not get infused into your work yeah you've put together two albums right i mean you have two full albums on spotify they're uh uh songs for the soul and sun showers correct Yes, yes, yes. I mean, how much did travel influence your music? Did you do a lot of songwriting while you were traveling? Well, I didn't start songwriting. Even despite my upbringing, I didn't actually start songwriting till I was 35. I uh, This is encouraging I for tra- me because I'm older oh, and I'm just great. writing songs now. So I'm really hey, inspired by fantastic. this. Fantastic. <laughs> well done. Um, it came about. Because I, my creative journey started only a few years before that. I was in banking before that. I was a bank manager of all things, and um, and I tried to get this book, a little book, published of my nature photos with inspirational quotes. This is before there was the internet, and you saw, see those sort of memes everywhere. And I, I was trying to get a little gift book of nature photos and inspirational quotes um, published. And in the frustration of not being able to get it published. A lot of people said it was great, but their color quota was full for the next three years or whatever. Um, this is like around 98, you know, or 90, from 98 to 2000. I, I, it was a few years I tried to get that book published. And, um, and so it was in the frustration of that that I actually picked up the guitar and thought, I'm going to write a song. And I could hardly play. I had a guitar because I thought it was cool, but I could hardly <laughs> play it. And they so are cool. once I'd written my <laughs> They are, they're <laughs> incredible instruments. So, yeah, then I sort of realised, okay, well, maybe I'm actually meant to be a songwriter. And so at that time I was just doing um, like open mic nights and songwriter nights at local pubs. But as I improved and I had a lot of performance nerves to work through, it took a long time. And once I got through all that, I started getting into um, accepted into little folk festivals. And so it did get to that point where I'd think, where, did, where haven't I been for a while? And then I'd Google, um, and by then the internet's in, and then I'd start researching about 
what festivals were in that area. And so I would apply for festivals where I wanted to travel to within Australia. And I still do that a little bit with my speaking gigs. I don't speak, do heaps of speaking. And a lot of them are, are private gigs where I'm, you know, people approach me for private functions. But there have been times where I've thought, okay, what countries do I want to go to? Okay, let's see if I can set up a speaking gig right. there. That's oh, a great way to do it. Just, yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> Why not? I mean, you get to share your message and also you get to see a new place that you want to see <laughs> yes yeah and travel you know travel is a lot of energy as much as i i love it and i'm sure you as a family man as well appreciate that when you're traveling with children um and and also once my daughter was born i um i became ill so i i have rheumatoid arthritis now and um, i'm doing really well with it that's my third book is about my journey with that but but it means that i i approach travel much differently to how how i used to because to me the best way to travel before was in the back of my van bed in the back go have no idea where i'm going to end up and just hit the road that was that was how i love to travel whereas now i'm on airbnb looking for comfort and getting a flat as close as i can to the nearest organic supermarket and you know googling those doing research on those sort of things yeah it's crazy how it changes yeah i mean this is my first big trip with my kids so as a time of this recording we're in Colorado but we've been visiting in Florida and then we went to Mexico and now we're here and just uh yeah I hear you I mean mm. it, you need that little bit of comfort sometimes yes but, you do but uh yeah. I I and also yeah sometimes longing for the days of the back of the van or that type of scenario <laughs> um and it's okay it's okay to long for it you know it's okay to realize okay well maybe a part of me will always long for that right yeah. well i mean the spirit of that kind of stays with you and i, I want to talk about your time living nomadically i guess i would say maybe kind of traveling around a bit it seems before we get into that i just had one more question about uh you know, something you said when you talked about embracing yourself as a songwriter. And I, I think this is one of the more difficult things that a person can do when it comes to accepting a new path, even though there's might be a lot of self-doubt around it. I, I just wanted to get your advice on clearing that hurdle because, I mean, I know from personal experience and just through conversations that it's there's a certain... I don't know. Sometimes it feels like there's there's a certain switch that could flip where, where you go from kind of like, hey, I'm just, this isn't like, I can't really do this. I'm just faking it. I, you know, who am I to do this? And then then you can cross over to, all right, I'm going to embrace it. And I think you use, even use that words like embracing that you were a songwriter. Um, like what, what kind of advice would you give around that? Well, I, I think that remembering that everyone has to start somewhere and in terms of say learning guitar or becoming a songwriter um we'll use you know that's a great example so there are some people who are prodigies and who master it straight away there are others who grow up where it's all around them and so they're playing guitar from when they're six or seven and they're encouraged and all the way through but in my experience in the music scene i would say that that would be probably 10% of people. So, well, certainly it was in the scene I was in, 10, 15% of people. That means at least 85, 90% of people have probably also had those thoughts thinking, oh my gosh, I'm no good at this. Who am I to think I could do this? I'm too late starting in life to try these skills or whatever. But 
you, you can't lie to your heart. I mean, you can try. You can distract it through busyness or addictions or whatever. But ultimately, if the heart has already let you know, mm, I'd, I think I'd like to, you know, have more music in my life, then there's going to come a time where you're either going to have some really severe regrets because you you have left it too late you know, and, and too late is only that, you know, you've got to the end of your life because it's you can pick up a guitar at 70 and learn to play if you really have the commitment or you, you get on with it. You know, you either have the regrets or you say, I don't want to regret this. I'm scared. I don't think I'm qualified to even try this. It's a whole different direction in my life. I don't have time. I don't have, you know, all these excuses. But then you can just stop and think, okay, but if I don't do this, Am I going to regret it? Because ultimately, you're going to die. I'm, I'm going to die. You're going to die. You know, this is a, the bottom line of, of, one of the way I live my life. Okay, I'm going to die. I'm on limited time. Every single day I'm, on, I'm living right now is a, an incredibly precious gift. The longer I delay something, and I don't, it doesn't mean forcing it and having an urgency that makes you not enjoy the present moment, but having an awareness that time is ever, de- ever decreasing sort of gives you the courage and the confidence to have a go anyway. And so, yeah, I would just say don't overthink it. If life is giving you a way to bring more joy into it, which music will definitely do, then why would why would you try and talk yourself out of that other than through lack of courage or lack of, you know, confidence? And those things can grow one step at a time. You don't have to be Mark Knopfler or Eric Clapton playing guitar like that or singing as well as Bonnie Raitt or whatever straight away. You don't have to. You just start one step at a time, learn a few chords, get around a few campfires, sing a couple of Johnny Cash songs and you're on your way. You know, that's that's a good enough place to start. I love so much of what you just said. And I think I hear a collective sigh coming through uh, my headphones here. People listening. It's just, it does feel good. I mean, when you just kind of take that, it's funny to use death as a light approach, but you say, quote, facing our own inevitable death is a fabulous tool for joy filled living, end quote. And I, I mean, I couldn't agree with that more. I always call myself a morbidly happy because I feel like I, almost habitually, I kind of think about death every day, like my own death, but not in like a sad way, just kind of in a way to, like you say in the quote, I mean, to kind of keep me motivated to keep pushing and and doing things and understanding like with that perspective, I feel like, you know, everything else kind of when you you have these self doubts or this self talk that's that's negative, that's just a bunch of bogus stuff going on in your head and your mind's chattering away. It's a good antidote, I suppose, (laughs) to that. Oh, it's fantastic, and that's why you're living a life that isn't a standard life because you've you've embraced that, and you know I'm sure I've got no doubt your spirit thanks you for it because you're at least yeah honouring the the sacred gift of time because that's what it is. It is a gift, and uh, yeah, the more that you you can contemplate your death, the more you're going to live a full life, and it and full doesn't mean crowded. Like for me, a full life also means leaving a lot of space, or it means living a life that is true to me. And so, same for you. It doesn't mean you've got to fit every single thing in. It means living the life, living life on your terms, in in what makes the most sense to you. It's always a tough line because you don't want to 
you know, it's okay to be upset about small things when they happen sometimes, right? Like I hate to Sure. It's, it's that, sure. that balance, you know what I mean? It's kind of like you can't belittle your own problems because then you're saying, well, this doesn't matter in the great scheme of things. And like maybe it doesn't, but if you're still upset, I, I think it's also important to kind of sit with that and acknowledge that and work through it too, right? Do you ever struggle with that balance? No, I I think life's thrown me enough of challenges that I've had to <laughs> get used to the balance. And um, no, because I've realized that for every hard chapter I have or, you know, a dark time, it's like, you know, if it's a mild challenge, then mild joy or relief comes on the other side of it. If it's a big challenge, then euphoria comes on the other side of it. And we we can't have life without the contrast. We wouldn't even recognize what we have to be grateful for if we didn't have the contrast. So no, I'm I'm very present in um in my challenges and and it's true in the grand scheme of things or in five years time it won't matter. All that sort of those philosophies can come in now and then but but I tend to not deny my challenges but look for the blessings within them because in my experience it's only the human interpretation that says they're a challenge and if I can dissolve the ego and not care how I'm how I'm looking in front of other people and just deal with the challenge and see it on a soul level I, I often think well this looks like a challenge and, and I'm and I'm hating it and I wish it was over but I know that this is actually a gift of love and I'm, you know, from life saying, come on, we're trying to take you up another notch in yourself and bring you into your best self. And so I, I think one of my strengths is it's not denying hard times, but it's a determination to nut out the blessings in it and find them all the time. Like, okay, I've learned this today from this challenge or I've learned this. And, and in that regard, I mean, it's it's only our our hard times that bring us into our, our our beautiful times. Yeah. So this is kind of looking at your challenges, or maybe even reframing problems, or what you might call problems as challenges, and then looking at them through uh, like a soul. You, you mentioned say a soul level. So looking at it through like a soul mm. lens in a way that kind of yes. redefines it for you. Is that the thought process that kind yes, of happens? Yes, exactly. Because then I just know that the lesson has been given to me to bring me into my best self. It's to help me break through another layer of myself to crack more resistance, even if I'm not even conscious of the resistance to to growth. But everyone's, you know, scared of how amazing they can be. You know, we all have to work through um, through resistance as we get to the next upper level and another upper level and another. And so in my experience of, of this and approaching it from that perspective, the lessons are absolutely perfect for who we are at the time to, to help us, to help us break through. And often the problems don't appear at all connected to where, what we're trying to do, but when you get inside the, the guts of the problem, you realize, ah, oh, this I could not have learned this lesson in a better way. This is the perfect lesson for how for what I needed to know. Yeah, it's so powerful because the conversation is in your head is going to happen anyway. Very difficult to fight that, but if you're if you're looking at it from this perspective and you say, oh, what, what is the gift here? What is the what is the thing that I'm going to learn from this that's going to improve me?" It, it just changes the conversation, right? It can't not. Yes, exactly. And 
it doesn't mean I, I know when I'm even with that perspective, you know, and I'm looking at it and I'm finding blessings and everything else. It doesn't mean there's times where I think, oh, come on, this right. has been enough. I'm ready, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm ready to move forward from this. Why is this still happening right now? I've learned this, I've learned this, I've learned this, I've learned all that. Come on, life, you know, move me forward. And then I surrender and I just think, no, nah, okay. You know, this is me trying to control the exact timing and outcome. I'm obviously not quite ready for the next step forward. And then, of course, when it all falls into place, you say, ah, now I get why it wasn't ready a month ago or why this didn't happen for a few weeks or whatever. And I've learned through my own experiences with these philosophies that, that the more I can surrender and trust in the lesson, the less I see it as a problem. I see it as an inconvenience often, but I don't often see it as a really big problem. I just think, okay, well, what have I got to learn here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it's a beautiful way to go through life. I mean, if you can foster those more productive conversations and self-talk, good has to come out of them. I mean, it sounds like, like you said, I mean, there's no, nobody's perfect. You're not good. It doesn't mean you're never going to be frustrated or, you know, you're never going to feel you know, beat down or have a, a down day or whatever. But overall, it's a powerful way, I, I think, to kind of approach life, which is uh, I appreciate you sharing kind of that process because I, I think it's super helpful for me and a lot of other people as well that are listening. You were working as a in banking, you mentioned. And mm, yes. it, it's interesting because you have the, all of this artistic stuff that you've done, right, with your books and your music <laughs> and, and, and you mentioned your dad that he was an accountant, but then he had this other side where he was, you know, lead guitarist for all these country artists and this radio program and almost not similar, but in a way, you know, get this one foot in this sort of stable it's financial. Seemed, yeah. Right. And then your other foot's. Yeah. <laughs> in the creative school. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I am. I'm, I'm, I'm my father's daughter, whether I like to be or not. <laughs> I, I was the same. I pretty much did exactly what he did. I, I, I had a love for numbers, which he loved, he, you know, and um, so he was an accountant and I love numbers. I went into banking and then, yeah, but, but I didn't recognize the creative side in me until, at least until I was 30. And it was only my great unhappiness in banking that led me to realizing oh, maybe I might be one of those creative types. Mm, right, <laughs> right. I'm trying to fit into this box that I don't belong. <laughs> yes, yes. And then it was just the pain of trying to fit into that box was just so unbearable finally that I just thought, you know, I might be an artistic person. Yeah, maybe I am. And and it was such a, a freedom and, a, and a, like an awakening to to realize that. But it was also terrifying because it, you know, I didn't know where to start with that, but you just take the first step and then the next one and the next one and life will hold your hand and take you along. So was that first step for you travel? I mean, did that sort of kickstart your extensive travels after quitting that job? No, my restlessness was the kickstart of my travel. And um, because even within the banking industry, I was moving from town to town at least every year or so. And so I sort of felt as soon as I got to know a town and all the back roads and all the day trips and everything else, then it was like, well, why would I stay here now? I'll move somewhere else. And so I did that. And sometimes with a partner, sometimes without. And when I was writing Five Regrets, it had been 27 years since I'd left 
my parents' home and I think in that time there'd been one place I'd stayed two and a half years and one place I'd stayed two years and and nowhere else was over a year, year and a half in 27 years. And some of them were three months, you know, like that was gauging it from three months upwards. So, yeah, it was it was huge the amount of places I lived just because I'd think, well, I know this place now. What's the point of staying? I'll go somewhere else. And, just go, and that, that sense of discovery and getting to know your way around and testing your sense of direction before Google Maps, um, you know, and just – just challenging yourself to see what you could rise to um, was something that I used to love. Do you think that that's something that comes out of your personality? And, and I mean, we are not going to get into the, like the nature versus nurture question, but I guess where I'm going with this is, or do you, do you think that's more of a, like a soul spiritual kind of feeling? Because I, I mean, you have a quote here from the book that said, uh, drifting suited me. There was a great freedom in it, but even freedom has its price. Everything has a price. Missing my own kitchen was what usually made me want to settle again for a time. I can relate to that. But, you know, this sort of soul level feeling that I I need to like keep moving around and checking places out, whether you're doing it, you know, on a multi-month or multi-year backpacking trip around the world or whether you're moving from town to town every year and a half. I, I feel like a lot of travelers can relate to this this feeling of uh, needing to be on the move. It, what do you think, where do you think that comes yeah. from? Yeah, well, I'm not, I'm sort of different in the way I approach travel now, but I, well, there's there's two sides to it, I think. And there, well, there were for me, and I think it can be two sides for a lot of people. One is um, just a simple love of freedom and discovery. And just, you know, having that the soul just, is the sort of spirit that you know you've got that sort of spirit that just loves discovery and or and or freedom and you have to, you just have to do it no matter what it's just a part of your your contentment that you just have to be moving the other side is maybe a little deeper emotionally is that in in my case in the early years it was restlessness that i was trying to keep people at a distance i didn't realize this at the time but in hindsight that once I'd got to know a town, I'd also got to know the people. If you keep moving, you can't let anyone get too close. And if you don't let anyone get too close, then no one can hurt you. So, you know, there is that that uh, restlessness in that way. And then as well as the restlessness, instead of like in that case, for me, it was running away. But I feel I was also trying to run to something. And that running to something was searching for the sense of belonging, which I think that 90% of our species probably experiences at some stage that, that, you know, you just want to feel like you belong somewhere. And so when you're traveling, you do feel like you belong somewhere for a while or you may feel it forever. Like I feel in Berlin, when I'm in Berlin, I'm so at home in that in that city. But I think the belonging is more that you're resonating with other travellers, that you're meeting other travellers who also are looking for this sense of belonging and you belong together and you meet each other and there's acceptance. You don't have to explain why you, well, you, know, why you travel and there's just encouragement and inspiration from each other. So I think that sense of belonging we we can often think it's in a physical place, but travel pulls us. To, we're we're pulled to travel because 
we're searching for that that acceptance of, of belonging um, and it turns out that it's with other travelers not necessarily with places in yeah in, in my opinion yeah. how do you feel about where you live now you mentioned a place like Berlin feeling like home and you've traveled around uh, do you feel like you've landed in the place that is right for mm, you or do you still feel wanderlusty <laughs> no um I still feel wanderlusty in the sense that I would still happily do at least four or five overseas trips a year, um, happily do do that. But no, it's it's different now. I've, I've got a seven-year-old daughter. Um, she likes travel, though she doesn't like the long flights. She loves – she's very adaptable in other countries. But I'm also in a place in myself – I'm in my 50s now and – and I'm very – I'm just a different person. I'm very grounded. I've had a big journey through um, through being sick and, and healing through that. And I've also – you know, I'm on the other side of menopause. And for a lot of women, that does give you such a good sense of self and knowing who you are and, and everything else. And so the restlessness that I had is very foreign to me now. And where I live, which is northern New South Wales, just a, not far, a bit north of Byron Bay, just near Byron Bay, which is, you know, Australia's utopia. So I'm, I feel like I live in one of the most beautiful regions of one of the most beautiful countries in the world. So I'm, you know, I'm pretty sorted and blessed in, in that way. And yeah, even an old friend the other day said, oh, you know, I'm going to get up that way in a couple of years. And I said, oh, well, I'll look forward to seeing you. And she said, oh, if you're still there. And I said, oh, no, I'll still be here. And she said, what? <laughs> you? And I said, yeah. And I've actually been in this area now for five years and I had lived here an, uh, before as well, like 15 years before I returned to it. And no, I'm I'm home now and it feels really beautiful to – to have that uh, that connection with the earth and to know that this is the part of the earth that I'm um, going to that's going to nurture me and I'm going to nurture it and but also I want to travel I'll never not want to travel and I I've said to my daughter the minute you're 18 I'm going to live in Berlin for three months to <laughs> learn the language you know she's and she's seven and she said oh I'll just follow you mum I'll chase you and I'll come with you and it's like Aww. okay great but I'm going and uh, yeah there's always a craving for travel but I would never want to be without a home base again I I just and I see loads of people can do that and I could do it once for for years but now is who I am and where I'm at in my life I just love not moving anymore and and that feeling of doing a big trip we had three months in Berlin about a year ago when I was working with the film crew um, the production crew for the film and and I, when we left Berlin, both my daughter and Eleanor, were, um, my daughter Eleanor and I were like, oh, I don't want to go back to Australia. I want to stay here. But as soon as we got back, it's like, oh, I'm so blessed to live here. I've got the beach, the river, the the clean air, the good food. You know, there's so much that supports our lifestyle here that that I'm just focusing on that and just thinking. I don't think any place ever in the world for a traveller. I don't think any place will ever have everything you want because once you're a traveller, you've seen, you've got so many choices and, and witnessed so many choices. But for me, realising, okay, well, this is actually – this ticks the most boxes of anywhere I, I could be. And for that, you know, I feel really settled and grateful. Yeah, I think you nailed it there because, like you said, when you travel around, you kind of – most travellers I know have a tendency – 
myself included, to get to a new place. And you just can't help but kind of let your mind drift and wonder, hmm, I wonder if I could live here, even if you know you're not ever going to, right? It's just one of those questions Mm, that you kind of play with, right? Like a a little thought experiment, if you will. But then when you travel around, you, you do learn a little you learn more about yourself you learn more about what you like in a place and you're you're kind of curating things through this travel experience and then when you do pick a place i I do think traveling around first gives you an advantage to at least try to tick boxes because you know what the boxes are you want to tick right (laughs) yes 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 you're clear on what your your most important needs and desires are yes yeah i mean at least for me that travel gave me that kind of clarity and I'm not saying, oh, you need to travel to know yourself. But for me, that was an essential part of self-discovery that I feel like I wouldn't, I mean, obviously I wouldn't be who I am today if I didn't have those experiences. But, you know, it leads me kind of to my next question, which is what has travel taught you that you don't think you would have otherwise learned? I, I guess self-reliance is... um is the first thing that comes to mind, just knowing that I can hold my own in any situation. Confidence as well because you're forced, you can't be too much of an introvert and too reclusive when you're traveling if you want to actually, um, I mean, I I love my own company and I could happily travel the world on my own. But if you want to embrace a place, you have to get to know other people for word of mouth recommendations and for all the secrets of a place, whether that's locals or travellers who are there, oh, have you been to this place? No, don't go there, go go here, you know, those sort of conversations. So I guess it's, um, yeah, self-reliance and self-reliance, confidence and just a love of humanity. Yeah, a love, love and respect of humanity. One of the things you say is courage is always rewarded. Uh, can you... Mm. Talk a little bit about that. Mm, okay, so in my in my experience, it is courage is always rewarded. So when life is testing us and we just stay committed to what we're guided to do, not not sort of giving in to um, to fear and sometimes to to logic, like if our heart's telling us to do to go in a different direction, and we have the courage to keep following our heart, whether that means putting yourself out into the public eye when you really don't want it or whether it means travelling to a country you've never been to and you're not quite sure where what your first step is off the flight, off the plane. In my experience, any huge acts of courage that I've done, life has just blessed me with some completely unexpected reward afterwards, unexpected in the way that, I've, I've come to expect, okay, if I'm going through this hard time, there's going to be a really beautiful chapter after this chapter, and I've come to expect and be grateful and um, for that. But, but unexpected in the sense that the rewards we get are often not what we think they're going to be. So it's not like, okay, life, you know, I've done this, I stood on this stage, you know, I was really scared, I've never been on a stage before, but I was, you know, my heart said do it, and I was so scared, and I got up there and I did it. You know, the the thing, the reward isn't going to be that someone's going, may not, isn't likely to be that someone's going to walk up straight afterwards and say, oh, you're amazing, from your first time on stage, keeping in mind, you're amazing, let me, let me offer you a record deal. Right. You know, it doesn't often happen like that. <laughs> it's, it's more likely that someone would, um, but the confidence you get from that, 
um, is a reward in itself because you've got through it or you're going to meet someone who's going to say, you know, you're playing really, really good guitar here. Um, I want to hook you up with this person over here. I think you two could get on really well and learn from each other. And so I just find that that uh, that whenever I know I'm really scared or really challenged, but I just courageously keep going, let go of what everyone else is saying I should do or what they they think what they think of me. When I let go of all that and just think, no, head down, bum up, I'm I'm getting, I'm going forward here, you know. When I do that, no matter what the external circumstances, yeah, life always says later, uh, gives me a pat on the back and says, good on you, Bronnie. Here's a shortcut for where you've been trying to go. So instead of having to take a dozen steps to get to that goal, that the dozen steps you've planned to get to that goal, here's a couple of people that are going to give you a shortcut and now you've just cut out six steps of where you want to go and you're that much closer. I think that's such a empowering message because, I mean, everybody has this stuff coming up in their life, whether you're nervous about taking your first trip or it's not even travel related. Like you said, maybe it's getting on stage and getting over a fear, which by the way, is one of my biggest fears, like play, actually play a song in front of somebody. Oh my gosh, Bronnie, mm. help me get over that. <laughs> oh my gosh, it makes me so scared. Now a bunch of people are going to be writing, making me somehow do it on YouTube or something. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. well, but I'll just give you one, one piece of advice in relation to that, that was given to me. You'll learn more and improve more from 10 minutes on stage than you will from from 10 weeks in your bedroom. Yeah, from practicing at home in your lounge room or bedroom. What about the not being able to sing part? Can oh, no. This is another. This is a whole other conversation, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Can your wife, can you do a duo? You know, get up there and support each other, be nervous together oh, and cheer gosh. each other on. That will be the thing. Yeah, I need some backing vocalists. No, that's a... Uh, Courage is always rewarded is a, is a wonderful, uh, powerful message and I think a great one to end on. And I, I mean, I had such a wonderful time chatting with you, Bronnie. I wish we could have done this in person. Maybe if you come visit Norway again, is, is that on the docket at all? I know you've, yes. be, you've been. Oh, well, I do love, I do love that part of the world. So there is a chance I, I will again. I, um, I may not go right in the middle of winter. I, you know, I went to see the Northern Lights for my 50th birthday, but I, mm. I wouldn't mind seeing the, the midnight sun. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah, we'll see. I, I, it's certainly not a never. The answer's not never. It's a, it's a possible. Yeah, a high okay. possible. Well, if you're coming through so Oslo, I'll, uh, I'll let you know if I am. Yes, I'm there most of the years. We can. I, I mean, most. Yeah, most of the months of the year, I should say. And we could. Uh, it would be honored to do a part two with you. And um, I so appreciate not only what you shared today, but what you've taken the time in your life to share through your creative work, your music and your books. And, you know, it was the book that you wrote, uh, Top Five Regrets of the Dying, that kind of led me to contact you for this interview. Thank you for taking the time to talk about some of the themes that came up in that book and in your life and travel and all the stuff we covered today. I so, so appreciate it. Oh, thank you, Jason. I, I love that you do and the podcast you're doing to, to inspire people to do more travel. So to everyone listening, if you can, any chance you get, you yeah. know, try your best to <laughs> discover this beautiful world. But um, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you today. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. Take care. Okay, bye. There you have it. Hope you enjoyed listening in on my conversation with Bronnie. She's an incredible woman and so much wisdom. 
that she shared during this chat. I'm sure you agree. I kept trying to find a quote I wanted to share from her at the beginning of the show, and there were so many I liked. It took a while to settle on one. She gave me so much to think about, and maybe you feel the same after listening in. I'm going to continue to think about death a lot. I know it sounds so bad, right? But it is a good motivator for living. And if you ever need some extra push to get you out there traveling the world, just remember you are going to die. Sorry to break it to you. So you might not want to wait too long to fulfill some of those travel dreams if you've been putting them off. It is a great motivator and nothing to be sad about. You know, we don't have life without death and that is that is a part of it and it it makes you value your time even more. And what I value is your time being here, being a listener to the show. And I just got back pretty recently. If you've been listening to the show, you know, I've been traveling around. I'm back in Boulder, Colorado, and I got to my mailbox, which I haven't been to in forever Finally got my mail, and what did I find? A bunch of postcards from you, amazing people. <laughs> a lot of people in the, in the listening community here, the Zero Travel Caravan, took the time to write, and if you haven't been on my website, anybody that has gone to my about page, you might have noticed, I say, hey, you want to get in touch? Here's my email, but if you want to get in touch the old school way, my favorite way is to get a postcard. I like sending postcards but I love getting them even more because what traveler doesn't love a good postcard? I got something here from Chicago, from Australia, from New Zealand, uh, somewhere in the middle of nowhere I don't even know. Denver, actually, when I wasn't here. So I have to give a shout out to everybody and anybody who's written me a postcard ever. Thank you so much. And I want to share one from Leo. And this really warmed my heart. He said, hello, Jason. I can't believe it's been over three years since I discovered your podcast. Since then, I've been to eight countries and have been traveling over two years. Your podcast gave me the knowledge and confidence to take that leap of faith. I continue to be a listener and love the value you give. Keep up the amazing work. Thank you, Leo. And I didn't read this one because he says a lot of nice things about the podcast, although he did, and I appreciate that. But uh, just to say congratulations that you've been out there doing it and already been to eight countries traveling for over two years. That's no small thing. It's not always easy to keep going, to keep traveling and to make it sustainable. And I don't know how you've done it, Leo. I don't know which advice uh, you've taken from which guests on the show, but I'm really super proud and humbled that uh, this podcast played some part in your journey and that you are out on a journey. And that's, of course, the goal of this show to get people out there exploring, seeing the world. And you know, travel just makes the world a better place. And I, I truly believe that. And that's what this show is all about. And this is a community-powered show. This is not my uh, my show. This is yours. So if you ever want to get in touch, postcards are always nice. You can always email me to jason at zerototravel.com because I love to read all of your emails and hear your stories and hear what you're up to and um, hear your struggles and your wins and your setbacks and your current travels or whatever you want to share. Just <laughs> reach out. I would I would love to hear from you. And, and I love that two-way conversation. Even though I'm here talking into a microphone, I love to hear back from you. So just get in touch if you haven't done that. I'm going to leave you with a quote. And before I do that first, just want to thank Tortuga Backpacks for supporting today's show. Listen, if you're looking for some new travel gear, whether it's a day pack or a backpack that can use for a longer term trip, whether it's a month or a year or three years or two years like Leo, he's been going for two years. uh, Check out Tortuga. Go to zero to travel.com slash Tortuga. And if you get any 
of the Tortuga products. You'll get 10% off by using the promo code TRAVEL when you check out, and that's for Zero to Travel listeners. Been a longtime partner with Tortuga. I actually have the set out day pack with me. I've been using it nearly daily on this trip over the last two months. I always have a Tortuga bag with me in some way, shape, or form. I love those guys. They're fantastic. Their stuff's great. And if you want to see the bags I recommend, you can just go to that link. If you pick anything up, enter the promo code TRAVEL, uh, and then you'll get 10% off whatever you order. And I want to say thank you for supporting the show if you do that, because I'm an affiliate for them. And uh, thanks to Tortuga for continuing to support this podcast and travelers. And everything we're doing in this little corner of the podcast world or the internet world or whatever you want to call it. Okay, let me leave you with a quote from Norman Cousins, who said, death is not the greatest loss in life. The greatest loss is what dies inside us while we live. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next time. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality.